I'm Steve Coleman, and it's glad to see you here today on this crisp autumn morning. I told my wife I didn't wear my shorts because I didn't want everybody getting distracted, but I usually wear shorts in this weather. Now you'll be distracted thinking about that the whole time. Sorry. Stop while I'm ahead. Uh, Well, we had dinner with friends last night. We'd met them many years ago when we were all attending the same little church. Julie and I felt like uh, we, had been, we were being called to another church closer to home, and so we moved on. And it wasn't that long before some problems started to develop. And some years later, a couple we had left behind there woke up to the fact that the place seemed lifeless. The small problems that had been developing now grew large. Major crises within the staff and various church families resulted in the eventual disintegration of the group. Our little church had fallen apart. How does that happen? One possible ingredient to help cause that, that could create that kind of tragedy, is a loss of a sense of purpose. We're going to see this morning what things go into a healthy church and examine some of the current issues in church direction, and understand the purpose of New Hope Chapel. So we're finishing our series this morning called, Why Do We Do That? An examination of the church in the New Testament and the principles uh, that we think are critical in operating as a local expression of Christ and His church in Arnold, Maryland. Well, in the first two uh, two weeks ago, at first, we talked about the supremacy of Christ, He is the one. He's before all things. He's preeminent. There is no close second. He is the source of our lives and of the life of the body. It all flows from Him. Second, we talked about what the church is, the composition of the church, especially the idea that the church is one body, yet has many members, and that each member has a role to play. That role is aimed at expressing a spiritual gift. Each of us has a gift. In addition to our various skills, our personality, and specific experience, all that combined into one unique person. And God has put us in the exact place He wants us, physically and also spiritually in this body of His. There's another way to think of it. Think of a great big tub of Legos. Oh, oh, skipped a paragraph. (laughs) But if you remember, Ephesians and Corinthians used the metaphors of a building and a body to explain how we connect together. Now let's think of Legos. See, here's Marge, there's Diana, yep, Joe, Jack. Patty, Vonnie, Jessica, Calvin, Carolyn, Miller. There you are. There you are, buddy. You get the idea. There we all are. You look into it and it doesn't make much sense. It is just a jumble. And some of you are in strange shapes. But as God describes His church... You know how he talks about it in the Bible? Like this, 
a fully formed building with each Lego place exactly where God intends it and is formed to fit exactly into the whole. So, you are there. And Bill, uh, you're somewhere in there. What God is building is far more than just a tub of parts. One body for many parts. Well, today we finish our series talking about the purpose of the church. It's important to know the why of things, to know the purpose. It gives meaning and a sense of how we apply who we are to what we do. Mark Twain said, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. We're going to use the text describing the first days of the New Testament church in Acts 2 to explore the idea of purpose and to answer the question, why? Well, the time is 49 days since Passover. 49 days since Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross and then rose again. Jesus' followers were meeting in an upper room. The Holy Day is the festival of weeks, also known as Shavuot in Hebrew, which was a harvest festival and the day the Jews commemorated the giving of the law to Moses at Mount Sinai. The term weeks comes from an expression in Leviticus 23, which instructs the Israelites to count seven weeks, or 49 days, from the end of Passover to the beginning of the next feast in their annual cycle of holy days. So the English word Pentecost comes from the Greek derivation of the word meaning 50, or 50th day. The requirement of pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem is mentioned in passages of Scripture that deal with three annual festivals. In Exodus 23, God says, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the sovereign, the Lord. In Exodus 34, this command is repeated almost verbatim, and the book of Deuteronomy characteristically adds further details in chapter 16. Three times a year, on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, on the Feast of Weeks, and on the Feast of Booths, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place he will choose." The Israelites had been celebrating Pentecost for centuries. This time, all the disciples, the whole group of 120, around 120, were together. And, as the Bible describes it, a sound like blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. What they saw was, the Bible says it, what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and spilled out of the room into the street as they began to speak in other languages. A crowd grew quickly. Peter spoke and gave an explanation of the death and resurrection of Christ. So at the end of Peter's message to the crowd, we're going to start reading in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 40. But let's pray just before we read. Our dear Father, we thank you for the love and the care that you have for us. And we thank you most of all for our redemption 
our adoption into your family, the Holy Spirit that you've given us. Please take these words from your scriptures and embed them deep in our hearts this morning in your name. Amen. Acts 20, 40 to 47. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded, that's Peter, he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the Holy Spirit comes. And then the first thing that happens after that uh, is that and when he, after he comes and fills them is that Peter steps to the front and addresses all the people who have gathered because they heard the commotion and people speaking in their home languages. You see, devout Jews came from all over the known world for these holy days. Different languages were spoken. They had a common Hebrew, but in many cases, not common anything else. So the different languages being spoken were both a miraculous sign to these visitors to Jerusalem and a means for communicating clearly. Well, Peter talked, and the disciples worked with the crowd, baptizing 3,000 new believers that day. So the first official action of this newly born church is one of outreach and suggests to us that the body of believers in a local area should be concerned about communicating the good news to others. This is not surprising because some of the last words of Jesus to his disciples before he ascended to heaven were, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. The Great Commission can be found in all four Gospels. And then to add to that, in Acts 1, Jesus says to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if that's not enough, the word apostle literally means sent one. I mean, that's when they said apostle in Greek, they were saying sent one. So that was, that was what they were supposed to be about. It seems that going is what the church should be characterized by. And you know, at this point, I really like the words that are attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. It's a great reminder of the place practical acts of love have in catching people's attention and demonstrating Jesus' love for the world. What's attributed to him is preach the gospel at all times and, if necessary, use words. You know, we, we know a guy that was starting a church in the Baltimore area. 
And one of the, one of the ways he chose to uh, try to announce this fact as well as impact this community is he targeted the bars in the neighborhood. And guess what he did? Well, he'd take cleaning supplies and clean their bathrooms and tell them, I just want to show the love of God in a practical way. He got a lot of people's attention to find out more, and he ended up with a wildly eclectic group of people. But he made his impact. God has and continues to transform us. We just need to let that transformation show. There are four other activities in our text specifically that are mentioned that this uh, church continued doing. And we'll go through all these quickly. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. So looking at the teaching, it's harnessing the power of the Word. Hebrews tells us the Word of God is alive and active. It's an odd thing to say about a book. But it's referencing its transforming power. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I don't like throwing Greek words around. You'll recognize the root of this one, but metamorpho where we get the word metamorphosis from. So, and we use that to describe processes where there's a complete change sort of from the inside out. It's God alone who can transform. So a local church should teach the Word, and we teach it as well as how to study the Word here. Uh, as as uh, somebody was saying... We don't have as much sort of the preaching of sermons to motivate you to get up and do something as we have sort of teaching workshops on. Here's, look, look at what this is saying and see how you can get that out of there. It's, it's, our, it's a style that we have. Uh, neither is better than the other. But it's a deliberate style because we want to engage your mind. We want to lay out what the Bible says as plainly as we know how. And we want to draw you into interacting with that. And then we hope and pray that you take this word, look up the passages for yourself, and pray for God to make you more like Christ through it. All right, then there's fellowship. Growing together in love. A couple of verses just to mention, Philippians 2.3, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In Galatians, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. And then finally, uh, from our section here in Acts, and it's that last phrase that really uh, catches my eye. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. What a picture of comradeship. The fourth thing we find in this text is worship. 
falling into God's arms. The meaning of the English word worship focuses on the one who is worthy of honor and reverence. When we worship God, we're declaring to Him His worth, confessing to Him that He is worthy. And as we encounter the transcendent God, we realize we cannot add anything to His glory. We have no worthy gift. Our words and our thoughts are completely inadequate, and we can only try to grasp the idea that He loves us freely. When we sing our songs during the breaking of bread that we cel- and the breaking of bread we celebrated this morning, we focus our attention on Him. As we continue to do that, it creates for us an anchor for our faith and a critical dimension for the church. It's an essential part of the activities of any church. Finally, prayers listed. Going deeper with God. Somebody said that prayer is original research with God. There's no real pattern or formula any more than there's a script you could read when you wanted to pour your heart out to a dear friend. That's all about what comes out of the heart to that dear friend. Nobody can script it. In my experience, real prayer requires at least equal parts talking and being still. Corporate prayer, critical in a healthy church, praying together is a vital key to opening God's presence and work among His people in unique ways. And Colossians 4.2 teaches us to continue steadfastly in prayer. 1 Thessalonians commands us to pray without ceasing. Regarding the prayer life of Christ, Tim Keller writes and starts going through the litany of Christ and his relationship with prayer. He taught his disciples to pray. He healed people with prayers. Uh, He denounced the corruption at the temple, and he called the temple a house of prayer. He insisted some demons couldn't be cast out unless there was prayer. He prayed often and regularly with fervent cries and tears, and it says in Hebrews, he was heard because of his reverent submission. Sometimes prayed all night. Uh, He was transfigured with divine glory as he prayed. When he faced a great crisis, he did so with prayer. We hear him praying for his disciples and the church on the night before he died, then petitioning God in agony in the garden. Finally, he died praying. In the beginning of the book of Acts, approximately 120 disciples were gathered in an upper room praying, as the Bible says, in one accord when the Holy Spirit came. Our summary, Acts 2 gives us a snapshot of the Jerusalem church at its beginnings. We've seen it engage in outreach, teaching, fellowship, worship, and prayer. Churches that pursue these continually are on track to remain vibrant testimonies for God. Now, coming up to the present, in the New Hope Chapel Constitution, our purpose statement is recorded. The purpose of New Hope Chapel is to point people to Jesus that they might know the love of God, live in the love of God, 
and share the love of God. The way we see it, pointing people to Jesus reflects our commitment to be focused exclusively on Christ. Getting to know the love of God depends upon our teaching, our worship, and our fellowship activities. Living in the love of God, well, that's where our fellowship and prayer lead the way. Sharing the love of God represents our desire to live God's love out in a practical way to co-workers, neighbors, family, friends, and acquaintances. Now, in one sense, you're not alone. Because when you go back to your home in Glen Burnie, Pasadena, Annapolis Neck, Crofton, wherever, as part of the New Hope Chapel family, you represent all of us, and the people that are touched by your life or your words have now been touched by the body of Christ. You become extensions. We never refer to the building as New Hope Chapel. It's the people. The quote I love is, when you touch a life, you touch eternity itself. It's all about touching lives. On that note, I want to quickly mention other activities sometimes cited as purposes for the church. You hear of stewardship of the earth, political movements, social issues. There are important noble causes under each of these categories. Individual churches, individuals or churches may have strong passion for one of them or another. Every individual and every church has to figure out what they believe God wants them to do. And I'm certainly not going to question God's call on anyone. I know people, friends, who participate actively in initiatives like these. The Lord's working His kingdom. And historically, we've seen Christians make major impacts on society. The abolition of slavery, uh, raising the standard of living for the poor, uh, orphans, widows. But I will tell you that I think pursuing these kinds of things to the exclusion of prayer, Bible study, fellowship, worship, or outreach sounds like a trade-off away from eternal purposes toward temporal goals. I think they were great as an add-on to what goes on. In closing, let me tell you a story about purpose. Julie, my wife, has many qualities. I won't bore you with them all. But she has two that I want to mention. She likes making desserts, and she's good at it. So we had Bill and Jamie, the Smiths, over to our house. Melanie is there. That's why she's laughing. The meal was good, but no one remembers what it was because at the end, out came the ricotta cake. Now, you have to understand, this cake is made with eight eggs and three pounds, three pounds of ricotta cheese. It's something. 
So Julie, as, you know, slices it up and presents these things, she didn't have raspberries, but it doesn't matter. It, there it was on the plate. And so the forks come out, and it was Cameron who said, this is really interesting. I get the sweetness of the sugar and the ricotta, but also that edge of garlic and black pepper. <laughs> well, Julie's still out in the kitchen working on coffee, and she shouts out, it's probably leftover or odors in the oven from what I cooked earlier. Well, Melanie, a little concerned, took a big bite and said, no, Mom, it really tastes like garlic and black pepper. <laughs> and Julie from the kitchen said, <laughs> it was louder in our house. I, maybe the room's too big here. Uh, so the, but the Smiths, very kind people. They are very kind people. You may not know this. They're saying, oh, we'll just cut the top off <laughs> where the spices are, and it'll be fine. And Julie's saying, no, no, no. And, you know, after we sort of got over the whole thing, Julie put it together. You know, she was using the cinnamon sugar that gets sprinkled on top halfway through that she had mixed for another recipe and saved the extra in a plastic bag up in the cabinet. But she also had a plastic bag of pork chop seasoning <laughs> saved from another day. She must have used the wrong bag by mistake. Well, you know, pork seasoning on ricotta cake, it's a seasoning designed to enhance the flavor of pork. And it does a wonderful job. You should have her pork chops. But it's not best for the ricotta cake because it's not its purpose to enhance the ricotta cake taste. You know, the church works best when it functions the way it was designed and supposed to. We work best when we get tied in to what God has for us and we function with the gift that we have and in the place that we are with the personality that we have. Every part is needed for the body. Every church is part of God's kingdom, you know, and He's working it all. And, you know, there's a, a proverb Something about man plans, but God achieves his purposes. Something like that. It's Proverbs 19. I can't recall exactly. And, and that's the way it is. God's working. And he's working in us and through us. And um, I'm going to close in prayer and then ask the worship team to come up and give us a final song. Lord, we recognize that we're yours. We don't have anything really to contribute. But in your love, in your grace, in your mercy, you called us into your family. You've also called us into your church, into your body. And you're building us together into a holy temple for you. Lord, use us. And use us in the ways that you want to, to help other members of the body grow to the full measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
that your body may touch the lives of other people by what we do primarily and what we get a chance to say when questioned. Thank you for this opportunity. In your name, amen.